Alright everybody, welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. Oh, There's the opening tune again. Shit, did that work? Yeah! Alright, scary shit. Technology. Yeah. You got this. Hey Anton, nice to see you. That's brave. <laughs> ah. Yeah. I like your room, man. It's really nice. Thanks. This is the uh, this is the clean view of the the garage slash studio. So uh, there's pretty much um, mayhem surrounding me, but uh, you get a clear picture right here. Uh, how about you? This is the uh, the new space. Yeah, um, moved into this place almost a month ago. I think actually a month ago now, this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's been interesting. Yeah. But it's really nice. I uh, like it's, it. it's really good. Yeah. I got sunshine. Okay, well, let's loop back to that because I think we should start with, here we are. Welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. Welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. Um, we haven't done one of these in forever and we've never done this. Uh, live stream. Who knew? Uh, I guess back when we started the podcast, there really was no such thing as a live stream. So here we are trying out this crazy new technology. What's the difference between a podcast and a live stream? A heck of a lot less editing for me, I hope. Um, <laughs> that's that's one thing that you know I I don't miss. Yeah. From doing a podcast regularly, it was the regularly receiving all of the separate recordings in various states and then trying to stitch them together into something that makes sense. Yeah. Well, because being an audio podcast at the time, you know, we were trying to achieve a level of quality. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't like grabbing like the audio feed from some compressed video conferencing thing and just slapping it up there it was uh we were all audio people so we're all recording locally you know again you're talking about orchestrating those stems and presenting the best possible audio representation the podcast um was our best attempt at that well and the um thing to remember is that we started out with the premise that we wanted to bring the feeling of gdc into the rest of our lives where we were missing the conversation we were having and you know that's why this podcast has this quite generic sounding name now which at the time sounded super specific <laughs> i mean at the time yeah. there was like post-production audio there was a podcast about it at the time there was definitely yeah. not one geared towards game audio um and right. so well, and if you're joining us here on the live stream like this is it. Welcome. Uh, let us know. We're in the chat. We're keeping track. And this episode's really going to be about taking a little bit of compare and contrast. We're going to take a, the road of history, talk about the origins of the Game Audio podcast, talk about when oh, Anton and I shit. met. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, so be sure to ask us questions. Uh, we're going to take the long road around just painting a, a picture of the past uh, through to the future. And then maybe we'll talk about like 
science fiction or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious, like, can people hear us if somebody confirms that we're not just talking heads on the stream? That's like my one number one thing. It's not going to be however much time we spent talking to each other and then find out that it was silent on the stream. Yeah, we did. Okay, check, I'm pretty, pretty famous for a mute button that uh, during my live streams. I hear it. I hear it. Okay. See, like we're so doing all right. So you mentioned real briefly, like the origins, like why even a game audio podcast? This was back in, and it really started, like you said, at the game developers conference. Uh, before you want, you we, want, you want to go straight like to the fancy um, flipping the scenes and OBS around thing. You want to do that? Talk, let's like, talk about uh, that whole inception <laughs> at the game developers conference. Set it up for me first, though. Like, okay. like here we are. Um, and let's talk, you know, how did you even start to make your way into game audio? Let's let's go all the way back to game audio inception for Anton. Uh, actually, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this um, a long time ago already on the podcast, but I was talking to somebody about this this week um, that the furthest I can think back of like a, as an origin point for me for this was the um, show Bill Viola did, is it Viola or Viola? Uh, well, video artist, um, very famous guy from the 70s, 80s, 90s, not doing too much these days, I think. Um, but he had an overview show in the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam back in 1997. And I was like 16, 17 at the time, and me and a friend went there and we're blown away. I was so blown away by it that I went again the next week. And I didn't live close by to this place. Well, depending on where. In, in Dutch terms, it wasn't around the corner. and It was a journey. You didn't go to Amsterdam every day where I was from. Um, yeah. It would be like going for grocery shopping in anywhere in the States, pretty much. But um, uh, he was like doing all these multimedia things with... Uh, perception and uh, perspective and time and space and he was using technology to manipulate those things in a way that gave you a new insight on those things and that was really inspiring it like triggered a whole path of, of exploration of thought for me and that led amongst other things led to um, visiting the school that I ended up going to which was the uh, Utrecht School for the Arts, Faculty, Art, Media and Technology, which happens to be like one of the older European institutions for those mixed media type of things and, and sort of has a long history with the Institute of Sonology Sino uh, in The Hague. Um, and then Stime and electronic music is related to that. And then there's a, there's a whole history for, for electronics and sound and interactive systems. Um, so I ended up studying that. And that's what led me to game audio because while I was in enthusiastic about games in my childhood and, and whatever, um, I didn't consider doing any game sound at all until I got into school. Because when I was into school, I went into making 
interactive systems in pure data was in the first year of my schooling we, we they taught pure data um and i i got to make this whole system so rather than you have people that went into production or into composing or into into straight up technology but i got into systems designing something that lives and that and actually the first thing i did was pretty much a game audio synth if you look back on it because it was a composition of um the history of uh, uh, buzzards. Was it buzzards? My father will kill Vultures? me if I get the wrong. Well, you know, it's um, uh, a bird of prey uh, that was yeah. almost it. exterminated. Uh, buzzard is a type of bird of prey, I understand, but I have to be specific about the type of bird of prey. But that's a family thing. Um, the animal in question was getting slaughtered by uh, DDT, uh, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, before that got banned. And so I made a composition that triggered MIDI notes based on the random chance kind of thing, how many mice was there, how many mice would eat, be eaten by a buzzard, and then a certain amount of mouse mice would be infected or be poisoned by DDT and would then have a chance of poisoning a buzzard. And each would then play different types of notes. So that was the composition, but it became like a, a living kind of composition. So it sort of played out roughly the same, but there was lots of randomization in there. And, sure. and recursion, which ended up killing the PD patch instantly all the time. There was a lot of fun and learning and uh, exploring. And so when I was in school, that was like so interesting and I was doing and that, that was a really cool thing about that school. You got to try out all of these different areas of um, uh, art that you could do in sound technology. And whether that was research, straight up DSP research, or they would basically facilitate what you were interested in as rather than force you into a very strict curriculum whilst also trying to give you an overview of everything that's there. Um, and so, well, and you're bringing all of your, you know, yeah. interests to the to your art, right? And so, you know, your interest in the ecology, uh, again, video games kind of running as a thread through your life, and then that intersection when the when the equation just adds up, and you're like, the light bulb moment of, oh, this is actually a thing, and I can now apply this passion in this way, right? And it yeah. was from Utrecht that you started to intern uh, in California. Yeah, I got, again, like lucky, um, lucky from Bill Viola, because I have no idea how I even ended up going there. Like, I have no idea why, why I would go there. Um, it's not something that anybody that I knew would have recommended, so... Um, I'm not sure anymore. I would have to ask a friend of mine at the time that I went with if he knows, but I'm kind of lost touch with him. But anyways, yeah. Um, so then back in, in the third year of the school, you had to intern somewhere. Um, and since I had started to develop like, okay, the, the only place where I can do this and have time and problems to solve that are in this realm of making systems um, and to be honest I at the time and still don't 
care too much about the exact problem there is to solve as long as the problem itself is interesting enough to create a system around. You know, a system that does something cool is far more interesting to me than anything else. Um, so then my teacher at the time at school wrote me this awesome letter completely uh, talking nice things about me that probably were not true which helped me a lot because that got Jamie Scott to give me an internship. Yeah. Um, and that's where and I actually was... learned how to do sound design. Because while the school is great at showing me a lot of things at the time, there weren't specialist sound designers from the type of thing, game audio sound designers there. There were movie people there and there were like lots of other people there. But at the time, like you'll know, in 2004, five, six, Try finding a game. I remember the game that they were using at the time to do sound run. All you could do was replace some WAV files. That was it. Yeah. You've made game audio now. Well, and that was a time like setting the Wayback Machine where really tools did not exist for for home implementation, right? No. You were either coding that stuff by hand, like you say, setting up systems in a PD or even a Max environment. Yeah. Uh, but really, there was not the proliferation of game engines and middleware that there is today. Uh, you couldn't get your hands on those tools without signing NDAs with uh, yeah. various companies. Not entirely true, because at the time, the way to get into games sound design was to do mods for Battlefield or for Unreal games. So you would do mostly sound replacement for Unreal maps or Battlefield maps. And certainly yep. we did our share of those things. And I remember you doing quite, quite, quite extensive ones. And I've been mostly... Half-Life 2. Huh? Half-Life 2 was the other one on Source Engine had just oh, come yeah. out. Like, could... Yeah, of course. But I mean, like whole game spawned from that. And, yeah. Um, Portal. But um, yeah. remember when Portal was new? It's like, wow. Oh, yeah. That's even yeah. after all this shit. So now we're a straight up old guy podcast now. Um, that's great. Yeah, that's where we wanted to start this. We're starting at the beginning. We're gonna work our way forward, and we're gonna just talk about that parallel, right? Yeah, I know. But we talked about this before. I still have to get used to that thing. So I'll say it once once in a while. Uh, just quick shout out to some people on the on the chat stream that I see floating by that have been on the show, like Vincent Diamante, like on the show whew, ten years ago. Nice. Oh, hey, look at everyone. Yeah. Hey, great to see you. And Nikolai de Hans just mentioned that he's been listening to him for already two and a half years. Great. Awesome. And changed his career. Great. Ta-da. I hope you don't regret it and then blame us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to yeah. that. <laughs> it's great to great to see everyone in the chat room. Thanks for joining us. And yeah. uh, we'll keep an eye on it here and try to weave in your questions uh, as we go along. You know, Anton, this, you know, your story here reminds me of the episode on Origins that we did uh, in the Game Audio podcast with Kristen Quibi, uh, now Kristen Quinn, uh, Frida Wolf, and Shannon Potter. That was a tremendous episode uh, talking about these kind of origins and these paths that, that people take on their way into the industry. And those people are all still doing amazing things so yeah totally 
totally. It's uh, it's a gift to be able to continue to to know them and and uh, and chat with them. Um, yeah, thankful for that. Yeah, and and after that, like I had a chance to work with uh, Shannon a bit um, on a game that I worked on a few years ago. Uh, I'm in a a group with uh, Kristen. She's helping to inform some uh, work that we're doing at Audio Kinetic. Um, it's just a lot of cool people and overlapping stories as we move through. Um, so we, we, can't, we can't do this without then going back to the sound design resource. Right. Right. Cause right. So I mean, so this was, I, tell, I wouldn't be in game audio if it weren't for you and the sound design resource, however short lived the resource was, it was the only public facing forum in that time uh there is a there's a there's a forum that has existed back then still exists that is sort of like in your in your in group which is a great group um but at the time because we weren't working in in any studio or or had any titles shipped that was sort of not open to us or at least i wasn't even aware of it at the time so that's one thing um yeah well, and so we started talking about like the, here we are live streaming. We used to do this thing called a podcast. What even, and what, and now we're talking about forums. So what, what's a forum, Anton? Like I know what well, Facebook is. I know what Twitter is. What's a forum? There's this thing called a cassette machine and you basically stick something in it with a magnetic tape, but it's not in a reel those things that spin is the smaller kind Philips invented it and then you stick it in and then you and then you press and then it just goes um, and okay dial up noise that stuff what about a forum though what is that it's like Facebook but with only cool people I wish we could go back we should could go back to forums. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, so a precursor to social media, right? They were these very closed systems. Uh, you mentioned some that were kind of cordoned off behind a velvet rope. You had to know someone or know something. But the sound design resource uh, created by a guy named Vance Dillon. Infamous Vance Dillon. Infamous. Uh, <laughs> Aircraft pilot, astronaut? I don't know, Rock where is star. he now? Yeah. He's somewhere in Canadian woods chopping trees now, I think. Makes I don't sense. know, I, I, I haven't spoken to Vance for, for, for a while. But yeah, right. maybe he's back but into flight sim stuff now. But you're right, it's like there was, even at that time, kind of a burgeoning community, right? And I think we, to an extent, kind of, um, take it for granted how easy it is to access a community online uh, in totally. the in the social media world where you can you can follow it, you can sign up, you can start having opinions or start uh, learning other people's opinions very quickly. Uh, it's very open. It's oftentimes very inclusive, uh, and it's just a little bit of throwback to it not always having been that way. It's so easy to learn like like the basics of something, anything right now. 
because yeah you can go on youtube and figure out what you need to do and it does it you know so well and back to tools and game engines it's like you could just go online you can click download it's there like immediately and and if you have the time to explore you know what's the resources that are there like you could kind of do about anything you could learn about anything and again we're painting a picture of a time when that wasn't quite the case right you didn't have a, a network of folks that you could ask questions to you didn't have uh the download now opportunity that software developers provide you didn't really have the youtube resources of of people who are uh experts in their field or even just kind of casual uh sharing their experience and trying to trying to level people up right yeah uh except somehow we found each other in that right and and there was a small group who was also trying to bring that kind of community and bring you know across various different places whether they were forums closed open or otherwise you know there were uh there were those folks no and i think you know if you want to go back before that time the same thing would happen except you would be much more um uh limited by if there was somebody around you locally or semi locally that had the same kind of interest you know because people would find each other about very specific interests since the beginning of time that's not new the only new part is that it's easier to do it over vast distances you know and this reminds me of when i was uh, uh i couldn't have been more than 10 or 12 years old and in the back of like this total computer rag uh newspaper there's like a commodore 64 special interest group or meetup group yeah and i'm exactly. like 10 or 12 years old and i'm like hey Mom, dad, drop me off at the ice cream parlor in the suburbs. Like, I'm going to hang out with this group of folks for a few hours. Yeah. Right? Didn't know anyone. Probably about a dozen people. I didn't know what they were talking about. But, like, that was that was as far as community went at the time, really. And that kind of unlocked the door for things like, uh, you know, BBSs. Right now we're really putting the Wayback Machine, you know, 300 baud modems uh, off of the Commodore 64, you know, forums of definitely a different vintage even still. Um, but again, community kind of comes back to that. Yeah, I mean, the public facing internet started, I think, back around 92, 93. So, as far as like when people at least here could just go online, I think it was 93 if I don't remember, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And so, I was in high school in 94, and that, that was the year that I got my first modem, but not internet yet. So, that was BBS sure. still. And then like, yeah. I think it was like a year later, six months later, somewhere in that first year of the, the modem where, where I got online. But yeah, that made that made everything way bigger. Um, yeah. 
Interesting. It's kind of fascinating to, to like to have this kind of perspective on on where we're at today. It certainly feels like, um, yeah, that you were able to spin up this live stream uh, over the last few days just out of nowhere. Yeah, I can see the sweat on your no, brow. Well, There's... it's it's you're you're skipping forward now all the time, uh, completely forward there, and it's like yeah. yeah. It's, like all this shit is much easier and then of course life always happens and i would say that over the same amount of time life's become way more complex so while it's super easy to do this thing um, there's also so many other things to do um yeah. you know and for me personally i have a busy job um which i didn't have at the time when we met i was studying and i could spend my time on whatever I wanted for however long I wanted. And that was fine. I had no other responsibilities. Zero except feeding myself. Uh, which I didn't take very seriously. Um, so. Yeah, now it's different, right? I have together with my with my partner, I have two children to feed, a job to maintain, a mortgage to pay for something great. But yeah, all those things. So. responsibilities right Whew. well and and speaking of that tender age before uh before that was a thing right we landed uh on the ground together uh at the game developers conference oh yeah and and the goal being you know we're trying to you know school up we're trying to understand the industry we're trying to get this knowledge because again it, it wasn't just a, a faucet you could turn and have it flow from the internet to your uh, to your eyeballs, right? It was something you ha really had to seek out. Um, it would be really interesting to, as we move forward in this conversation, you know, to talk about all of the resources available to us today. But at the time, like, this is why conferences um, felt like such a, a key piece of that is that this is some of the only places you could go to get that level of information. Um, and and so we're on the ground, we're soaking it up, right? And from that, I feel like we both had this, um, this urge to kind of push it further, right? We wanted to bring that message, bring that learning um, from, from the conference and push it to that wider audience. Yeah. Which is kind of talking about the inception of the game audio podcast uh really was something that we started that year at gdc for sure i mean it started because um i couldn't go the next year yeah so i called you and said hey do you want to do a podcast with me because i can't go and i want to keep this conversation going i have nobody to talk to look you at the time you were starting your career and I was in my career, but I was stuck. Well, I was stuck in Amsterdam as far as not being able to go to any other studios with other sound designers and talk yeah. about the kind of problems I was having. I could talk to my colleagues and that was great because I have fantastic colleagues. Um, yeah. But you you have a small pool of perspectives and, and, and experience. Um, so the... The, the original thought was how can we tap into all of that experience that is floating around um, outside of GDC because GDC is is amazing 
um, but it is not accessible to pretty much 100% of people. And it's true. Um, a podcast is also not accessible to 100% of people, but even in 2009, <laughs> it was accessible to a way, 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 way larger group of people um, than GDC ever was. So Exactly. Exactly. And it was kind of be- from that, and I, and I think at the time we, as we were setting out at the beginning of our careers, right, you in-house at Gorilla, uh, me as a freelancer working sometimes in-house, sometimes remote, um, this idea that we were all solving the same problems, something mm. you touched on there, uh, and that, that we can really get there faster if we're sharing this information, if we're talking about these things. And at the time, it was sensitive because you had a lot of proprietary technology. You couldn't really talk about the way things were at your company because either they were uh, secrets or unique or special. And, and you know, today we have much more of a, of a vocabulary around how to talk about these things that are similar across our development styles. Yeah, you think that's it? I think it's just way more people are interested now. There's like the accessibility has bred um, a first for more knowledge. Whereas when the beginning, we were starting the conversation with people about mixing a game and they, you couldn't go anywhere to talk about mixing a game. And we had the mixing conf call uh, was with David Mollerstedt, I believe, yeah. from DICE um, at the time, now a teenage engineering. And yep. do you remember who else? Mel Roth, yeah. Rob Bridget. And Rob Bridget, yep. why? So, so at the time, right, those three people in the game industry who would you have a conversation with about mixing a game? It would include those three people. There were probably a few more that I would yeah, yeah. that I would want to have to that party, but I would That's at true. least want to have those three. I mean, remember, Rob Bridget in 2007 did the Scarface talk where he was bragging about his awesome mixing thing that he brought to uh, Skywalker and mixed the game, you know, together with uh, Randy, Tom. So... I mean, Randy Tom at the time was the only one writing about sound design. You know, there was at the time yep. the, a Swedish guy who had a forum about everything that came out about sound design. Ah, oh, what was the guy's name? So there was this, it was a very famous blog that basically like all, it wasn't even a real blog. It was like a link aggregator to everything being written about sound design. Imagine trying to keep a, a track of everything being written about sound design and a new article will pop up like every month i remember that and that's kind of where actually sidetrack didn't designing sound spring out of the ashes of that forum yeah, yeah i have to point that way yes you're you're virtually there and now i finally learned this trick how you do this you've i have now uh, this is your speaker <laughs> you are there <laughs> i hate tv <laughs> but yeah so so you have this kind of uh, this evolution that was happening. And, and like you were saying, like trying to bring all of these voices into the room. And aside from David Mollerstedt, who's moved on, like you said, to teenage engineering, became one of the big brains behind the OP1. Like hearing him talk OPZ. about HDR at DICE 
back then was like mind blowing, right? But uh, and and of course, Dice at the time was super open about what they were doing uh, in their GDC talks, and they did yep. the GDC talk about the HDR system that they build, and then yep. we had the conversation following up on that. Yep. Rob Bridget did his talk on GDC about the Scarface mixing uh, tool that he built. And then, I know, and he hooked it up to a Mackie, man. Like, he put actual physical faders into the hands of Game Audio Mixing for the first time. Like, I had not seen that before. It took me a while to copy him on that. <laughs> I did not get to take it to Skywalker. No, no. Uh, and then, you know, Christopher Melroth, of course, having orchestrated many mixes at, at Microsoft over the time iterated on a couple of crackdowns uh, again and have spoken with him a bunch since then as well uh yeah those are the those are the people you would want to have in the room for sure for sure uh and like that that podcast is a great throwback and with still a lot of nuggets to talk about there but uh yeah uh bringing those conversations to people, right? Whether they were started at GDC or not, um, was really what the podcast was about. It was about trying to expand that conversation outside of just the hallway, the presentation, uh, but as this online environment was growing and trying to propagate those conversations further out and plant those seeds and it's it's great to hear from um from the chat right that these are things that help fuel people and i've you know heard it over the years and i'm always so thankful that people find their way to it and that it can kind of fuel their development and grow um grow their game audio experience it's really cool martin's on the chat ah nice hey good to see everyone good to see you yeah, James, so, James and but that Chase, was like, that's so my thing. Like, you know, it's, it's GDC continued, and then, like you were saying at the time, it just stopped for a year, and then you were there or you weren't there, and you would hear maybe from other people that were there, and then yeah. at a certain point, they started to put the videos in the archives that were inaccessible unless you paid another big chunk of money, and yeah. then. You know, but slowly and slowly it opened up a little bit. And right now, you know, mo like most of the talks are on YouTube or at, le or at least like some of the really interesting ones. Um, yep. So, you know, all that stuff is now also open. Like GDC is, has found ways to open itself up as much as it can without, you know, also cutting off its head. Of course, it has to support itself. Right. It's an expensive machine to run. Uh, I, I can't imagine how they're doing it right now, actually, as far as like making sure that Circus stays alive. But um, yeah. well, and, and I think that what's interesting is, is the podcast was kind of filling the gap. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Gap. I get it. Ha ha ha. In the gap in between uh, GDCs. And then at some point, the Game Audio podcast at GDC started to become a thing. Yes. Because that was like the flip of the whole thing where the game audio community got so big that it became like spread out over, not necessarily physically over the, over the, uh, over the conference itself, but it spread out. The conversation started to happen everywhere without 
any real focal point. You know, there's the ferry place, of course. Uh, right. Historically, always been a place where the audio people went. Um, right. But then, yeah, we decided when we were there because I had the chance to go back to GDC for the first time. Well, actually, now, okay. Do you want to do this or not with the, uh, with, with, with the pictures? Pictures. Making Let's it do real. It. We're ma- we're we might as well it. have a walk down this. Uh, Walk down this lane together. Right, where, uh, where and Chase, is... it absolutely starts. Uh, yeah. It actually counts getting started with RPG Maker totally. MPV, MTV Music Generator on the PS1. I mean, uh, like Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery. Um, the name of that fancy guy in his composing. Uh, you'll you'll help me out here in the chat. Um, what what are we, what know. are we talking about? Ah. Talking about uh, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. Who's the composer? Oh, come on. Written that score uh, with the PS1 yeah, music yeah. generator. Huh? They'll, they'll get to it. They'll figure it out for us in a second. I, I'm going to Google it live now. Okay, great. Hey, Rob's on the chat now. Hey, Rob. We just got done uh, talking about your mixing system. Good to see you. Uh, it's... I'm gonna kill myself. There it is! Jim Guthrie. Jim Guthrie, yeah, there it was. Great. Okay, but these guys, for all from the sounds of resource... absolutely counts. (laughs) What? I was responding to Chase in the chat room about does it count uh, starting off with tools like that, and I'm saying, yeah, heck yeah. Vince, thank you for the Jim Guthrie, Martin. Yes, we got there. We all got there together. <laughs> <laughs> they got there before us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm going to go back to these guys. Okay. We didn't ask a, permission that's... to show these pictures, though. I don't know. Probably uh, not. Uh, This guy's going to hate me for the showing this picture. <laughs> no, yeah. he looks exactly the same. Yeah, we're talking about Karsten Royan again, one of the uh, contributors to the first Game Audio podcast. That's Together up with there. this guy. Yep, Will Roger. Always good to have Will. Both of them here in Seattle right now. So, Anton, you're moving next, right? <laughs> no. I, you, I, well. I'll see you guys swim back here. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll meet you in, in the Netherlands. So this was you, like, field recording rig out on the uh, edge of Chrissy Field in San Francisco uh, at the Wave Organ. But now we're going through time real quick, because then, yeah, so in 2012. Yep. Skip forward. Didn't get to go all the time. So back in those days, like... Either not enough money, no reason to go professionally. Um, so, yeah, going to GDC from Europe is really expensive. Yeah, flying, yeah. hotel room, GDC ticket, staying in San Francisco, it's it's a budget. It's a budget. So, um, it don't... Rob says, "Is this GDC 1978?" Um, <laughs> close, close. <laughs> yeah. 
But then in 2012, yeah. I thought, oh, next year my son is will be born. Or was it 2013? 2013. That's already 14. 13. That was the year my son was born, but whatever. Um, then um, we figured if I don't go now, it will be like way longer before I get to go. Yeah. Um, so I came out. That was really good. That was the first time we seen each other, but we saw each other a few months before that at the AES for Games that Michael Kelly had organized. And that was when we first started to meet people, or at least the first time, sorry, me, I started to meet people that listened to the podcast. That was weird. Well, then we did a, a series of AES Audio for Games podcasts that year as well. Uh. That you can grab and listen to. Uh, we did some some interviews with folks who were presenting. Uh, that was a real, uh, you know, like you were saying, like, we just started to try and build on this idea of pushing the information from conferences further, pushing the idea of this knowledge share to as many people as we could. Uh, and again, Game Audio Podcast, you can dig all this up. Uh, there's still some good nuggets in there, things to, uh, things to learn. Why is 2009.2? Woohoo! <laughs> you know what those pictures you were showing though, you're right on the cusp of of introducing sight glass. Right. Dude. So how sweet was it to find that place? I think we were staying at that by someone. It might have been Rob Bridget. So we were staying at that uh, the good hotel. And, yeah. and we were trying to look for a place well let's just record some podcasts because I remembered from before I was doing the Wild Eye show oh, I recorded yeah. some interviews with some Dice people because we went on a field recording trip together and so we, we yep. cut that up into two uh, different episodes with Jess Riley French and um, uh, Chris Watson right? Chris Watson yeah so like so pretty cool here yeah, that's when we figured out hey maybe some other people want to help us out with editing this stuff thanks Stefan yeah um, so yeah and then uh, what we were saying yeah so when we did that we figured oh actually doing something in real life when we see each other is also really nice so let's just do that um, yep. so that's when the AES ones came up because you, you had found a reason for I think Sony wanted your wise experience, so you went to do uh, uh, a tutorial for the, for some Sony people that were starting to use Wise at the time. And yeah. uh, uh, you got invited for that, and that became then a reason to also might as well go to AES. It was a perfect dovetail, um, and thanks, and, Gary. Uh, I'm yep, so glad for that opportunity. Um, Looks like we turned Rob onto Sight Glass. Thanks, Rob, for clearing that up. Uh, yeah. yeah, we brought like, him. Yeah, you. Well, I think it was more like you were drinking coffee there already the year before or something because it was right next to the Good Hotel in the morning. So good. And then yeah. we decided, oh, let's just sneak in a table and see if somebody cares if we do it. Yeah. And we just started inviting folks. It became a really small, like, 
intimate, you know, get maybe six or eight folks around the table and uh, put the microphone in the middle and, you know, we're just kind of chatting, you know, again, trying to pull together the different things that we were learning about, right? Um, pretty casual, um, pretty small, right, those first years. Uh, but we took those then, and I don't know if you got them right out, but but we were getting those out to the community pretty quickly uh, after having the experience uh, at the conference. So all part of that, trying to push what we were learning further in the hopes that other people might get something out of it. Uh, that kind of... Uh, snowballed over the next 10 years of the podcast at GDC. Well, not 10 years yet. We started doing that in 2013. So, so okay. So, if, in if it had been this year, then it would have been the seventh. Okay, well, in, in six years then, from that early inception, Footsteps. Uh, the... The last we still do footsteps year. in game audio, you know? So it's 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 still perfectly, you know, Julian Kwasniewski, Jen Kenneth Young, and David Swindle. There you go. Yeah. The ideas still work. Totally. Totally. All right. Yeah. How many episodes are we up to? I don't know. Is this 63 then? Since the last one we did is 62. Yeah. But now the podcast at GDC became our kind of regular, right? Uh, That's the only one we've been doing besides besides these. Well, actually, we did a few in between. Did a little educational dance and uh, a mentorship one. <laughs> like between uh, 2015 and 2019, we did one, two, three, four, five. So... Yeah. A little bit more than one a year. <laughs> yeah. But now, taking what we started there at, at at the Game Developers Conference, like over the last seven years, six years, um, you know, we had a, a morning meetup last year. That was in 2019. And we had five days between 7 and 9 a.m., Monday through Saturday. And uh, between 60 and 120 people each day showing up to kind of share their experience at the conference. We live streamed it. Uh, it's still out there. Uh, it's, it's a heck of a lot more people than were ever a member of the Sound Design Resource Forum back in 2004. And, yeah, and that's probably just a small slice of even just the audio people that are at the conference. Um, but that really became for me, like a way to, to bring people together in a topical conversation, again, in the spirit of what we were talking about the whole time, sharing the experience. There's so much that happens. Let's just put it big, right? In the context of game audio that no one person can really know everything or, or catch all the cool uh, insights being propagated across the internet. So it was having something like that uh, where you could skim the cream off the top and really learn from other people. 
what was important or what was cool that was happening uh, at the conference that really, uh, yeah, grew over time into something that was valuable for people to wake up at seven in the morning for during a conference. Yeah. Yeah. The one time that I, my alarm didn't go and Kenny, who never made it to the morning shows, I know, it's but great. was trying to wake me because I was in the same hotel as him and he couldn't get me woken up. That was on a Friday show too. Oh man. And then my bike broke down and I took a cab there and everybody was there. <laughs> it's like when you're hosting a party and you're later your own party. It's really weird. Yeah. Not the you first know, time I, that happened to me, but it's the last, not a regular thing. The last two years I made it a habit to not uh, show up on Saturday mornings and, uh, and let the let the group kind of self-organize. Mm. It's kind of fun. Usually someone would take the uh, take the reins. Uh, it's usually Alan Antoine would, you know, start up the format. and. It's, it's a ritual, good. right? You know, it's like there's an order and events to it. So if you've seen it once, you can repeat it. And then everybody else has seen it too. So it's, it's like everybody is, of course, now all in the stand-ups in the morning with their teams. And there's like, you know, or at least that's our back at the office way is like at a certain time we all in the office and then so we gather around in the morning stand in a circle and we go like that right and and now yeah. um uh, uh due to the lockdown we're having to do this over over the fan so a new ritual starts to happen yep. and i think you know about whenever whenever the community changed we've we've naturally without even talking about it adapted how we viewed the podcast and how important it was. Um, yeah. You know, when the it was really great to see other people also start to make podcasts about the subjects we are interested in because it just meant that more of that information was available and we yeah. didn't have to do all of the work and we could just sit back and, and watch other people do some of that stuff. It was really great. Yeah. And, um, and then the community grew, grew and grew and grew and grew. And so... Um, there's less of a need to also add to the conversation. So I think that's why we've 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 slowed it down a bit. And then that's on the yeah, one well, hand. And on the other check, hand, like, you know I'll name check Beards, Cats and Games Game Audio, like fantastic podcast that came uh and filled some of that space. Uh the work that uh, Matthew Martinson and, and Gord were doing on that, as well as uh, Matthew and Kevin Regami on Real Talk, again kind of fill in that slice, um, crossing into the live stream te territory. Game audio hour. Again, we got Vince and Chase uh, in the chat, like what they're doing again to elevate these topics in game audio. Like it's great because over time, like you're saying, you know, these resources have started to proliferate and these places for people to get the information uh, is really great. 20,000 Hertz, that podcast that Dallas Taylor started a million years ago, met him at a conference. Uh, vendors. You know, just, yeah. So many. Exactly. So many. Yeah. But, yep. Um, uh, you know, like, I, I, at least for me also, it's been a bit of um, having to reprioritize things in in life you know and so um it's 
it's cool that now, it, like if you were doing something like this professionally or something like that, you would have to do it all the time and dish it out because otherwise, you know, you don't get any money. But obviously no, nobody does this kind of stuff, you know, for money or for any other reason other than that they enjoy having the conversation and sharing the conversation. So yeah. um, that's, that's the night it's like, it's it's like the hobby part of your professional life and the, and that's um it's nice to be able to do that now so easily so it's true like i'm on staycation this is just what i wanted to do you know having the conversation with you uh talking with some folks uh you know like you said the the hobbyist part of your professional passion right is this idea of advocacy and sharing uh, your experience. Um, I'm really thankful for it. But you're right, like life uh, changes, right? And how we've approached the podcast has has changed over time, whether it has just been a conference-based thing or whether uh, here we are today, right? It's uh, because, because we can. So let's talk about game audio for a bit, not just podcasts. Because game audio is more interesting than podcast. Um, what is, you think now, what... Um, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let's wrap the story up because okay. who even are you? Like, what are you even doing right now? Like, what have you just finished doing? Like, what do I do? Like... I can still like, I still can't talk about what I do. So Okay, but uh how many years have you been working at Gorilla? Um so since <laughs> 2007. Yeah. Right. So at that GDC that we were talking yep. about coming Yeah. So my, that's the story you started off with, that GDC because now we're going in back into the chronology part. So back in 2007, that GDC was right at the end of my internship with Jamie. So yep. I spent four months with Jamie. That was so amazing. Got to record stuff in desert. Thank you, Jamie. Um, and then I came back uh, after GDC, thinking I would do the fourth year of my studies. I got a call uh, from from Mario, the audio lead at at uh, at Guerrilla at the time, if I was interested in helping them ship Killzone Two. Yes. Uh, called my school. Can I do that as part of my graduation? They said yes. This is why they're the best school ever, because they just said yes when you got with a cool idea. Um, so then I got to finish school by shipping Killzone 2, um, yeah. which was a great education in a lot of things. Then ship yeah. Killzone 3, and then ship Killzone Shadowfall, and then ship Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, well, and you moved very quickly through what were years and years and years of evolution, both in technology, as a studio, like your role like i don't think my role has changed with that last thing like shipped horizon zero dawn like holy shit like could not have seen that uh you know when i first met you that we would be here on the other side of that amazing title yeah uh, and all of the things that you pulled off with it technology wise well, that has been publicly talked about and and is there for dude if, for, if, uh, if for people to dig you know, if you look at the, the placement system that uh, Andreas built 
um, together with Yap for uh, for Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, yeah. You know, the 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 part of the of the the placement that is like the more the art part that is that is GDC talk about that. It's worth yep. worth watching, I think, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. That is pretty much you know the the actual thing for those kinds of things like building worlds and that kind of stuff is kind of going back to the buzzer story is full circle for sure having yeah. to think about how to spawn the bird sounds in a system like that uh it's totally full circle in that sense yeah should have ended my career there <laughs> <laughs> no it's like, oh, yeah i've done it now <laughs> still young still young yeah uh, no it's still it's still a lot of fun every day but yeah, it's it's you know it's it's a long time one place, completely the opposite of you. I mean, you've you've been everywhere in the same amount of time. You've seen all the other companies, and you ended up working for the same one I do. So I must have picked the right one at the start. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, guess like I don't work for Audio Kinetic, obviously, regards. but we're both part of Sony, so that's why, obviously, for people who are not aware, Audio Kinetic is now part of Sony. So. Yeah. But you're right, it did have that unique experience as a freelancer early on. Yeah. Again, kind of plumbing the technical sound design piece, which was still kind of opening up as a discipline in its own right. Uh, you know, and able to see a lot of different tools, a lot of different pipelines, a lot of different um, workflow methodologies, right? Uh, being the person who came in and, you know, got dirty in someone else's pipeline, uh, on just a ton of games. And then write about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was when one can, <laughs> one writes. And uh, and I was glad to be able to, again, part of it, trying to bring these things um, to the attention of people and, and use my experience to, to help other folks who might be in similar circumstances, right? Uh, but... Uh, yeah, and it really did lead me on a path through technologies, through understanding um, game audio from a different perspective, and eventually, right, as you said, landing at Audio Kinetic Now, helping to create tools, workflows, and pipelines for folks. Uh, got I got some research under my belt on that, and I'm super stoked to be uh, contributing to to that with uh, with the help of the community with the help of folks at audio kinetic we're all we're all just working towards the same goals it's cool yeah it's it's um it's it's very interesting that you have these careers that go um like yours where where people move from one company to another and have amazing stories at each one you know and i think yours is, a, is quite an extreme one in the amount of different places you've worked at but for a freelancer it's not unheard of um but you were just um, especially for a sound designer, I think we've been in-house more in those years than most others have been during that time. Um, but In-house is a freelancer. Yeah, exactly. Because I think right. in-house freelance sound design is not a thing that would have been a typical scenario 10 years ago. Um, like, quite not. Sure. And, I mean, you foresaw the work-from-home situation 10 years ago already, um, which was, yeah, you were just ahead of time. Yeah, and, and again, remember, uh, 
uh, in-house sound designer, freelance? Not exactly, right? Technical sound design really opened that door because people had, at the time, they had an infrastructure to be able to create great sounds for their games. Like, that was a well-proven, um, well, people knew how to do it, right? And that's what they hired for a lot of times. But where there ended up being a wider and wider gap was between that content creation and the integration in the game. And that was a, a gap that I slipped right into as a freelance technical sound designer. Uh, and putting me in-house made a lot of sense for folks at the time. They weren't really able to push the pipelines outside of their, their network. Uh, it wasn't as easy as maybe it was when uh, we were forced to do that a few months ago uh, and people woke up to that reality. But it was something that I had always kind of hoped um, for my workflow at, was to be able to pull their pipelines straight to the desktop. And it's it's really cool to see that that people are leveraging that now under the current circumstances uh, and able to keep keep moving and keep being creative. So that's cool. Uh, speaking of which, working from home, how's that been? Uh, we started to talk about the overlap of life and yeah, and technology, right? And and how that influence each other. What's the work from home life been? Um, well, I've, I'm. The, the the annoying part of it is that we're in the sort of the the middle of it still so trying to to reflect on it is a bit hard because you can't really compare notes easily with others right it's like sure um i will say the one thing that's changed for me in the past 10 years is much better in reflecting on things than i was 10 years ago but that comes with age i think for most people i hope so at least maybe well maybe some people are born with it but just like with any skill um, but it is something you can train. I think it's very worthwhile f figuring out how to do that. Sure. Um, and then, but reflecting on something that's currently ongoing that you can't compare notes on with somebody else quite easily who either, because they're also still in the thing. It goes back yep. to those per perception and perspectives, right? Um, yeah. from my experience, moving house in the middle of it and having two young kids they're not able to go to school uh, with two people with busy jobs. Um, yeah, it's quite stressful. It's, I'd say it's a, I had a really stressful year last year, but but um, uh, but that was like a family health situation that was pretty dramatic. Yep. Um, but this does this is also quite stressful, but more manageable, I would say. It's more yeah. un this is, there's a different kinds of uncertainty you know there's one you can you can see and this one is more of a ghost definitely there's there's a bit of shared experience across colleagues um, friends family right where there is a feeling that in some ways you know many of this uh, many of us have um, people that we're going through this with right? And so you get a little bit of support through that, even though it is hard to imagine um, or hard to share experiences about how people are, uh, 
yeah, just moving through life on a daily basis, um, you know. But, uh, but we have the support of each other uh, when we can find it. Uh, one interesting thing that I think to talk about just how, yeah, how this current state has influenced things like, like you were already working with OBS as part of a solution for your workflow, enabling a work from home kind of lifestyle. Well, so was, when we start, well, was, so I when was, we started talking about a live stream, it was like, oh well, you're already like rocking the OBS. But the cool thing about OBS that is that up. it can output to as a webcam. So if you, you know, you gotta stay creative in your situation. And so the first thing I started to do with my of like I don't know what to do moment at the moment is play around with OBS filter settings and uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to have like uh, a screen share of what I was doing on the tool side and at the same time have a webcam so that seems easy enough to set up and then um, then output that to a webcam output so that I could show it on a zoom meeting or on a Skype meeting or on a slack meeting or on a whatever Teams, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, so there's lots of um, video calls now going on, right? And um, yep. uh, the the other thing, of course, I was doing some modular streaming. So there I was also experiencing a little bit with, with OBS kind of stuff. That's yep. a, yep. a cool tool. I mean, it's unbelievable what it, what it does for the price. Um, yeah. Same thing well, goes then... for, for voice meter, which has the weirdest UI in the world, but is really quite powerful. Um, so that's, I think, where I was going to jump to, right, is that, that, yeah, we've all kind of quickly got up to speed with video conferencing across the different providers that there are, right? But I think as audio folks, uh, we, we have to have all hit that same wall when it comes to, you know, how we communicate audio across these channels, right? Like, dead simple to like hook the microphone up and just talk, right? But as as people who want to present the work we're doing, present the audio of an application otherwise, it's been a really rough start. It's been a really difficult challenge and voice meter is, is certainly one solution for that, but it's really not baked into all of the conferencing solutions right now to be able to pass audio through. Um, no, especially not in a, in a, any reasonable state um, with low latency. So there yeah. are. Or how about multi-channel? Just even stereo. Just give me stereo. Yeah, I mean the the there's a lot of tools that have a lot of voice um, optimizations going on on the audio channel. Uh, yeah. Some of them you can turn some of that stuff off if you dig deep into the settings. Some of them you just can't. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of time sink. Uh, so this is one of the things where I feel like we're all struggling with it right now as audio folks and struggling together, right? There's a ton of resources around it. Uh, of course, we have the whole industry of live streaming that we can kind of pull from resource-wise because they've been on the cusp of trying to cultivate, um, you know, these workflows, right? But live streaming workflow, like, is there going to be a middleware for that? Is OBS and voice meter like the middleware solution for live streaming, do you think? 
Yeah, Rob Bridget brings up a point that in many ways game audio teams were already isolated and remote. Some of the many challenges with audio teams have involved those words in the past. Now we're back in the remote studios and situations. Is this the future? Will distributed development continue forever? Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, even before this happened, when it was clear that it was gonna happen um, and people were starting to prepare for it, um, the, the realization was that this will change how games are made forever. Um, because suddenly, and of course, plenty of people got rightfully pissed off when suddenly we could all work from home. Um, and where before there was always a reason why it would be impossible to do. And then suddenly within weeks, you know, a whole, a whole world that could was working from home, which was fantastic. Um, uh, but it, it took a lot of effort from a lot of people to do to make that possible for a lot of different companies and um, and and I mean it's really amazing what what those people have pulled off on on all of those teams to get everybody up and running. Um, yeah, mad props to your IT department right now. If you haven't given them a shout out uh, yeah, and they're sure. supporting this current uh, situation, you know they're they definitely had a heavy lift helping us get here. Yeah. And but to get back to like uh, uh, Rob's point about always already being remote for sure. And I remember when we moved Guerrilla's office for uh, um, back in 2010, um, we we were, were our current building has and let's put it like this. No, that's like that, like that, like that shape. And then here, here, in that corner, that's where the sound team is currently for Guerrilla, or at least where we started when we were only four. Um, three, two, well, six now. Um, but and it was really, you know, the presentation of uh, game audio culture in in the book that Rob wrote. Yeah, talking about how do we dissolve the walls that exist. Exactly. For... Then, so so that's why we put it back there. It was a was a was a not. Not because Rob wrote it in the book. I would like to say that that was the case, but I would also like to say it was a really good idea that we had, but it was more of like, this is the best place to put it uh, so that it's central, but nobody's also too bothered by it. Um, but yeah, we had this super central spot and it enabled us to be visible for the entire team. It certainly raised our profile because before that we were hidden on the fifth floor yeah. and half of the company at the time, a hundred people did not know exactly where we were, um, which, you know, being proactive and going out to other people is, I think, a skill that at least a few people in your team require. Um, I mean, I spent two years in-house before uh, Audio Kinetic, and it's like, uh, you know, put my desk right on the right on the floor with the development team. Like, as an unseen art, audio needs some visual presence, right? And yeah. so in-house, that was my strategy. Like, yeah. put me right in the middle of the programmers, the engineers, the people who are, uh, who have their hands in the game every day. Uh, there was a value for me that uh, that superseded the isolation or the you know, moving pushing air and from speakers. Uh, and you kind of built a hybrid solution that gave you the best of both worlds. Well, so if, and for me, that was like opening my doors and having a coffee machine close by because this is where people yeah. sort of congregate and I could like 
keep an eye on. And I'm really curious you know, um, and the, the, the company is going to move some point to a new building. And I'm um, not sure exactly when the move date is. Um, but I'm really curious, like, when we, uh, when we move, um, what it will be like. Because for the new studios that we built, you know, when we were, we were in, when we were talking to the studio designer, it's like, okay, so, so we want to have the best game audio work environment. And yep. like, what is that? Well, ideally it will be a completely open space where everybody can see what we're doing and hear what we're doing, but they don't hear us at the same time because I want to record a super quiet sound and that person wants to mix explosions and that person wants to uh, have a Skype call with somebody on the States. But ideally it's one big open space where everybody's always happily collaborating. Um, sure. So it's impossible. Physically right. impossible. So we have like cones of silence and like laser amplitude eardrum audio uh or maybe george is jacked in the matrix i don't know yes it's unrealistic sure um uh, the question i would have is you know to rob's point like if if we're if we're here today we're in isolation right we're working remotely like how have and again like you're talking about a, a way that you bridge that gap was by actually re-engineering the space, right? But how do we re-engineer um, our communication as audio people working in isolation today in order to bring more visibility to audio and, and make it more a part of people's um, thought process, right? It's super tricky. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to work extra hard to be visible, right? You have to be, you have to do that usually as audio people because, again, as an unseen art, you got to hustle to make sure people are listening. Uh, but in a remote situation, like everyone has to hustle extra hard to make sure that their presence is felt, to make sure that people are looking beyond their email box or beyond the meetings that are on their calendar. Uh, or looking beyond the tiny corner of the game that they're working on, right? And and like techniques to, um, you know, bring visibility to what you're doing. You'd mentioned stand-ups earlier, right? Do you guys have daily stand-ups? Multi. Okay. Currently, yeah. we're sort of meeting start of the day, end of the day, with the end of the day one being more of a a freer version of it where the one is the more formal start of the day yep so to me this is that visibility piece that we're talking about right with how do you everyone do that with audio connection uh say it again how, how is that with audio kinetic uh yeah we have stand-ups for the different disciplines uh we have ad hoc meetings that get thrown together in order to you know, focus on different feature developments. Um, and then kind of the the host of uh, external facing. Yeah, because that's, meetings. of course, a big difference between what you and I do, right? I, I imagine you spend quite a bit of time um, 
talking to people outside of audio kinetic yeah well it's a it's a feedback loop it's it's uh it's both touching base with the development and what's what's happening uh with features development as well as making sure that people who uh, are outside of audio kinetic are aware of what we're doing aware of the the future that we're building towards and and that we're working with people to make sure that what we're building is the right thing. Uh, again, we have development partners who are helping influence the features that we're creating today, um, leveraging their expertise uh, and experience to make sure that uh, when a feature does land uh, in the public space, that its considerations have been taken into account. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's a ton of uh, hustle to, again, kind of close the loop of visibility between developers working at Audio Kinetic on Futures and Wise, um, development partners who might need a heads up to what's coming in the future, and then Wise authors, people who are working in Wise today, these, these features, these workflows, this technology is going to land in their lap eventually. So making sure that we take uh, their opinion into account and feed that into those features so that when those features arrive, they're, they're the right ones hmm. or closest closest to being right that, that they can be without having everyone involved, right? Yeah, that's tricky. It's like pleasing sound designers. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a dance, but but again, that visibility piece is just trying to make sure that everyone's visible, uh, that that you are communicating ultimately. And this was something that, as a freelancer working remotely, like that was so much, so much energy expended as a freelancer working remotely on trying to make sure people knew what you were doing and knew. Um, you know, how you were contributing. Uh, and so in some ways, I feel like kind of right back there working remotely again, where you just have to work twice as hard to make sure that people are aware of what's happening. And you also have to work a lot harder to realize what other people are working on. Because yeah. the, the random conversation that is actually critical for me to work properly, um, and also critical for me to get distracted by small things that eat up my day then, um has been taken away and yeah. so like i said there already it's it's a mixed blessing right um yeah. you know so personal situations aside i feel like my review of work from home would be that it is great because i can focus i don't get distracted uh i love being a sound designer and being in the sound room for that fact alone the, the fact that you have this space that you are in control of. Uh, I, I, I would have a hard time, I think, if I was always working on a floor, open office floor with other people around me. I, I can yep. certainly see it being part of a thing for X amount of time, but always would be very hard for me because I get distracted by things. And then I would have very very little time where i can actually focus um so focus time well, is great yeah and the counterpoint to that is 
is that you don't get that randomization. I say you don't get it, right? <laughs> uh, which is to say, whether you want it or not, sometimes that randomization is extremely valuable. Dude, sometimes right? it's it's saved projects. Yeah. Saved deadlines. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's next week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you're working on that already? You know, and so like, it, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy that I'm not in some kind of like senior management position where you have to suddenly change this whole ship around and make it work um, still without being able to do that kind of communication. Yeah. That, that seems like I'm really impressed with, with how companies are are handling that situation and how yeah. are, they are improving communication um and you know it's 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 bound to not work everywhere as you know as i i feel really fortunate about uh where i work not just from how they've dealt with uh this crisis going on in the world right now but also how they've dealt with crises that i've had in my life over the years that i've been with the company and i think you know, we talked about this before a little while ago. I think like working somewhere where your your employer, but also your colleagues, really uh, honestly in it with integrity support you when you're down. That is so big, you know. And yeah. and I would definitely feel like this is a, a litmus test for all a lot of places now. Like like are are you a good employer? And are, are, are you, how, how are we going to help those around us that we work with every day uh, when they need us? And do we see it? Because that's now, it's like, do we see now who needs help? That's currently the, the, the important question. You know, are you asking your, your colleague that's a bit quiet, what's going on after the stand-up? You know, that kind of thing. It, it, you never know, you know, you never know um, how important something like that can be um so it's true and i think we all absolutely need support uh during a time like this uh but like you mentioned like even under previous circumstances right how how your company supports you how your support system you know helps guide you through troubled times or or just help guide you in general mm. right because Things don't have to be bad to get good guidance from folks, right? And that's, I think, on one hand, they call it leadership, right? Uh, good leadership doesn't take a crisis uh, to invoke, right? But like you're saying, especially in those circumstances where, uh, where you need help, um, making sure that the support system in, is in place to get it, and I'll throw this back to getting laid off uh, twice in the last four years, right? Um, incredible support system from the game audio community to help me bridge those times. For sure. Uh, uh, and and certainly not something I did on my own. I certainly struggled with it. I uh, reached out for help and, and at the same time was... Um, was welcomed to, you know, try and get out of my head during those times because 
it really um, it's a challenging challenging thing for anyone for sure yeah it's it's like you know making games is quite um, ambitious undertaking and, and making software in general and so um, when you are for some reason not able to help the team and be part of the team whether that's in my case you know the company that I'm working for or in your case um, not being able to progress in that endeavor of making those things then right. having people around you that can either that are just there for you and e even when you don't ask for it you know um, yeah that is that is really key so if if you're in a kind of environment right now that fosters that kind of stuff i would i would cherish it because not everybody is so lucky it's true it's true and i think that is as individuals we can just try to be mindful of opportunities that we might have to be supportive of people like yeah. you were mentioning you know hey you were quiet in that meeting you know or i i see a change is there is there anything i can do right or What's going on? Uh, yeah. I think we or, all have that opportunity, or, or, or not even that, and just going for for, for a chat. You know, it's, it's it's as in sharing something of your own um, experience is yeah. sometimes also just helpful. That's you know, like like right now, um, I've had conversations with people that were were struggling in ways that I think are just typical for everybody, but because. Yeah you're so isolated right now, it's very hard to know that that is typical. So if you're not the kind of person that would then assume that it's typical or go out and seek and find out if it's typical, you don't find out and you yeah. might be stuck in that place. So, um, you know, I would, I would think that's the conversation everybody's having right now for the past couple yeah. of weeks, months. But yeah. maybe some people are not, that should be. Yeah. Uh, and for that, I guess I will, I will say I did write an article on, uh, on layoffs, having lived through a couple recently that positioned some ideas that I think are as relevant now, uh, whether you've been laid off or not, just towards this idea of uh, building that structure of support to be able to handle those kind of changes in your life. Because that's really what we're talking about ultimately is, you know, changes in our lives that we may have, uh, you know, built a support system for, right? Yeah. Both for our support, if it's change that's happening to us, as well as to be able to support other people during, during change that's happening to them. And as this kind of mass change... Uh, you know, how do we build forward from this together and and support people during this? So, um, Rob brings up good points. Of course, it's Rob. And he brings up the point that um, presentation skills is a key part of having a, in your audio team and, and as part of a team. And I agree. I think the, the, the team that, that did that, the best recently and was the talk of the town uh, a few days ago was Unreal or the Epic um, with the Unreal 
uh, Engine 5 for a, a demo. Um, sure. I mean, talk about a like blizz fest of uh, spectacularness, you know, yeah. layer of sugar on sugar on sugar on sugar. Sounded amazing. Um, lots of promises being made about what it could do that were vague enough to be interpreted in lots of different ways. So I definitely like looking forward to um, getting to the metal of what those things were really, uh, yeah. you know, when you give things names. Um, <laughs> well, and as he says, as Rob says, you know, presentation skills are key, right? Yeah. No, that's why so, I brought up the Unreal. It's definitely by far, you know, if you want to sell your idea of what things should be like, which ideas are great, which I, which sound ideas are worth exploring in the near future, and they've certainly hit a lot of points. And I mean, they, they, it was a big presentation. They showed a lot of stuff. But what I yep. saw happening was also the conversation about different elements of it. They really presented it in a way that people could pick up on certain chunks of it, like, oh, I'm interested in this bit, and then we're going to go watch just this bit now and, and talk about that bit. And other people were talking about another bit in different disciplines around the world, you know? So, like, VFX yep. guys around the world were talking about completely different things than any, than lighting guys, than, than sound yeah. people. and So, very well crafted. Well, and this was an external-facing presentation, right, across these different communities. Sure. And I think the same thing holds true internally, right? How do yeah. how do we as audio professionals inside of a company of larger disciplines harness those presentation skills to be able to communicate outwardly within our company within yeah. that closed uh, system? And I'm gonna I'm gonna again point to an article I just wrote called Game Audio Change Agents. The idea here being that you know it's really that advocacy piece that as technology has evolved, as skill has evolved, uh, as competency across the language of interactive has evolved, um, so too the advocacy piece internally at a company of how audio interacts and presents uh, across the company to other disciplines is in evolution as well. Because the realization that uh, that it really is a collaborative piece of the entire process, and thus that presentation piece, like how do you sell the big idea for, let's say, a workflow that that will increase audio fidelity? Uh, how do you present? an opportunity for gameplay to change in order to support the collaboration of audio that might might just elevate the whole experience in general. Uh, and this kind of advocacy, I think, you know, again, comes back to, at this time, how do you present audio to the rest of your team? Like, we've leveled the p playing field. We're all remote working, uh, and it, and again, I'll bring it back. Like, if you can't present stereo audio to your team, like, how are you even presenting at all? Well, right? yeah, that's that's true. And if, and and um, how do you present it in the context how it relates to the people that are gonna watch it, right? So it's very, um, 
you can do like something about, hey, I made this really cool sound for this thing. And it's like, hey, here's the cool new sounds I made. You hear them and then you people will tell you, people that like it from your colleagues will likely tell you, hey, I really like it. And the ones that don't like it will either be the kind that will share that information with you or not. But it, yeah. it like that doesn't breed, I think, new understanding. It just breeds like this is what you've been doing so far. Which is good, right. I guess. It means that people are m making sure that they're listening to it. But I think also part of the maturity right now is that actually, you know, the conversation about people listening to the game is, I think, becoming less of an issue. I think most people have proper headphones now and care about good sound. And I'd like to assume the good there. Um, I'll breathe through that. Yeah. I'm. I'm just gonna say, 2020, like people playing with no sound on their command line, is is not a thing anymore. Um, <laughs> but you know, how do you how do you get to um, a conversation about the ideas and how how and reinforcing each other and and that kind of stuff? You know, I think um, in pre-production you can talk about ambitions for uh, for for projects or for specific features and you know with a with a with a, a pre with a uh, like with a sort of concepting video which i'm sure because they haven't given a, a release date for unreal 5 yet have they no so this is like more of like a i'm assuming this is like this is what we want it to be not what's there today you'll see it tomorrow in your in your toolbox kind of thing for uh, like the whole thing right so i'm sure some of that stuff is there um but anyways, what I mean is, like, how do you make it a, a bi-directional thing where you show what you're doing and then yeah. how that relates to what somebody else is doing and how yeah. do you, how can you inform each other's work? Can, can I do something in, in some way in communication that changes what somebody else does, makes it do yeah. it in a different way? And I think... Um, presentation skills are are like yeah. a good mass thing for that it's like a it's like a haze shotgun you know you get a lot of pellets and it will hit people it's like a forced random conversation that will hit a lot of people but yeah. then breeding and i think this is what you've been also you know really good at that's what you are um uh, good at over the years and what i've also been trying to do is connecting with people over different disciplines and, and really trying to emphasize with what their world is like so you know you don't have to become a animator but understanding an animator's workflow and what an animator cares about in their work is really important before you can make sounds for an animation well then you really better know their pipeline before you suggest some kind of automated uh trigger system that uh that plays a footstep when it clips the physics plane. Like you really better know what that means in the animation pipeline, because if you don't, and you suggest a workflow that is gonna slow any other discipline down, like that's never gonna fly, right? Unless you can present the value of it. Yeah. But I'm just saying in that, in that context of empathizing, like it really benefits you to understand all of the pipelines that audio touches and it touches all of them. 
Right. That's the problem, right? That like, you know, that's it's and it just I think it's one of the uniquely um, omnipresent disciplines. I think there's there's yeah. there's very few others that are so ingrained in every single part of of the post-production of a game like on the tail end of the receiving end of all of the problems than audio and yep. and and I, it still uh after these years surprises me how how much of an influence that is you know and it and it 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 goes back completely to uh concepting because concepting yes. is is always a static image you know, that, that's like source points. Everything starts yeah. with concept images, and that's where you have to start imagining the sounds too. And that's a, that's a that's a huge leap. That's a huge leap to to go from some kind of concept image of a world, you know, um, and then take that a couple years before that thing is done at that point in time into okay. So that is all the things we're gonna need before we get to the point that. The sound will actually trigger that the reverb is there and that the outputs to the speaker. That's that's a very long thin string. Yeah, and we're and, not and we're not the only ones. I'm not saying we're the only ones, right. um, but but a character artist, for example, already has that concept image and can get a lot more information out of that um, than a sound designer could. Well, and. And audio um, concepting, right? A legitimate, uh, a legitimate focus in its own right, right? Uh, how do you pair with concept artists in those pre-development phases? Like, hey, is this an idea for the next podcast live stream? Maybe. Uh, but you're right. Like at every step of the way, audio has these touch points across many of the disciplines and which makes it hard to get uh, uh, to makes it hard not to be at the table in those early discussions when people haven't quite come to uh, the value of having audio at the table uh, and again asking for that seat at the table early presenting an opportunity to collaborate uh, and showing, presenting ways that you can add value, right? I think, again, this is towards that idea. Yeah, and, and also, you know, um, uh, there's not too many examples of shared knowledge there where people approached it like that and it being a success. So it's definitely worth... There's been a few talks. I think it was... For example, the talk by, um, oh my God, she works at Sony. Oh, shit. I'm really annoyed with myself. There's a few talks you can look up. I will find them and we'll talk about okay. them in the podcast. We'll invite those people. Yeah, I totally know who I'm talking about, but... I'm gonna not name said person. I'm gonna keep I know it a you mystery know. guest. 
for future uh, episodes in the future. With that in mind, I think if people have stories to share, we're just going to take a moment to encourage those uh, stories be brought forward so that we can have these reference points that we can all point to as to uh, best practices for that. And with that, I'm going to call it a night because the sun is gone now. And Awesome. I'm beat. Anton, what a... I feel like we tra time traveled like 10, 10 years at least during the last hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I was Marty McFly in Back to the Future, I think I would say heavy. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure what the other guy would say. <laughs> Great Scott. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, pulling it together today. It was great to see folks in the live chat. This has been a game audio podcast history of sorts live stream. We brought it right up to the present moment, though, didn't we? Um, covered a lot of ground. Uh, it's good to have you folks along in the chat, uh, adding in the things that we could not articulate. Uh, appreciate having you along for the ride. You ready to take us out, Anton? I'm just going to like fade to this thing, and then I'm going to press this button on VLC. Do uh, it. Yeah. It still has the wrong name on the on the file. I, you know, gotta give another shout shout out to Lucas Ventol for composing this tune that has uh, defined our lives. Here he goes.